We got a doozy. Yeah. We're going to get into this? Sure. It's a big one. It's a big one. I got a bunch of little stories. Okay. But it'll, it'll be fun. Okay. I'm hip. I'm hip here. I'm, I'm running on and half empty. I just want you to know. You look a little I rough. Keep, I keep filling me up with the caffeine, hoping it'll overcome the uh, hump. Yeah? About midday, I'm okay. But the medicine takes toll. It's the medicine. It makes me, uh, when it really kicks in, it makes me very, very angry. Oh, really? Yes. Have you taken some Irritable. recently? Uh, oh, I, I just took it on the way over because I needed some food. So. Oh, shit. The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. Now, I did notice something. I talk loud. Insults are effective only where emotion is present. So, dude, dudes, welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast. You're here with James and the, uh, I have nothing I can say, the uh, ailing and soon to be formerly, <laughs> formerly human being, Brando. Back from the dead. Yeah, I'm, I'm coming back, though. We'll have I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm 100% better than what I was, so. I'm not a good sick person. I never have been, and I don't get sick often, but it's like... Uh, I go years. Yeah, yeah that's how I it is. I go years without being sick. I might get sick. a little, little something here and there, but nothing that even, like, puts a bleep on my radar. Right. Kind of ignore it. Yeah, I take my vitamins it. and yep. uh, I, I just work out I deal through with it. it. And it's sweat it, sweat, sweat it out. That yeah, that's what I try to do too. But, I try to do that with this. But when when I, when I get hit with, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, he's got bubonic plague. He's gonna have to really tough this one out. <laughs> <laughs> I told everybody on the show that you had Ebola. From well, I, know, I that was gonna give you a little credit. I was gonna write something. I'm like, you didn't have to go into uh, it, <laughs> some nasty. Details <laughs> and uh, not that I have a lot of friends, but those that were like possible are like, I ain't going near that guy. He's got Ebola. What the hell, man? I heard you got Ebola. It's like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> I heard you needed a kidney transplant. So, anyway. Anyways, so we're back and yes. we're, we're finally getting into what we've been uh, working on here for a while now. We are. We're going to go through this history of this deep air record. Now, this kind of got started. We uh, we got in touch with Brett, old, old Brett Gilliam. And if though, you should probably tell people who don't know who Brett Gilliam is. Brett's a pretty big figure in the diving world. He's in the Hall of Fame. and Former, former deep air record holder. He's a Navy diver, uh, consultant to the Navy, I should say. His father was in the Navy, and he started diving at eight years old, if I'm not mistaken. I used to be like a huge fan of Brett. Still am. I mean, I, the things he did and just his attitude is, is uh, just kind of the, you know, the, the epitome of a diver in my mind. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. For, for sure, for sure. Yeah, so. You know, doing it all the time, 
loving yeah. it. Yes. You know, any conditions, let's go, you know, attitude. Yeah. Yeah, it just loves the, the whole, every aspect of it. Yeah, the gear to the technical fish. aspect, the physics, the, the environment, all of that stuff. He's, he's done it all, as well as the engineering part. He's, you know, I know he's worked on commercial projects. Yeah, and he's, he's, he's biz- on the business side as well. He's oh, had yeah. a lot of very successful businesses in the diving industry along mm-hmm. the way. Uh, liveaboards. Yep, he's done, liveaboards. done really well. And now he's a big, uh, big legal consultant. Yes. To uh, like any... Diving case, you know, yeah, legal that, that diving involved diving mm-hmm. and a dive fatality. You know, they uh, they bring him in. Yeah, so pretty. Uh, so yeah, so I so I sent him an email, iconic figure about his there. dive. Yeah. Back when we, we we were first starting, we were going to just go through that one, but then mm-hmm. he started looking into it. And there's so much involved in the setup of his attempt at the world record dive. I, I was just noticing there's so many cool little stories along the way that that what was going to be just that dive kind of spiraled into, into the all these subject. all these other stories you know yeah. so i sent him an email and uh spoke with him on the phone actually he's a real great guy to talk to on the phone yeah full of i mean full of stories when we were chatting like like i was uh an old pal like he just <laughs> rambled on and on and on story after story after story is really really good guy to chat with so uh we're gonna get into that one but not right away because there, there's so much other cool stuff yeah you can kind of lay a foundation a background for for because we really yeah. because we really already started laying a little bit of the foundation when mm-hmm. we were when we were doing a Jockey. couple of those early yeah. Jacques stories, right? Yes. So because that's where it really started. Those guys got their hands on that aqualung and then started pushing some depths and pushing some more depths and, and pushing some more depths. Fargs. Fargs. Fargs played a role in the in the uh, history of deep diving. He did. Uh, yes. He and uh, he and Didi were uh, the two. The two guys on the team that uh, held the records in the DD story was kind of hilarious. Cause he just, you know, just went down to, to check. I want to say like yeah. a like a anchor hold or something, and just ended up in three hundred feet of water and yeah. back to the surface. But they didn't feel he was down long enough to get it's, the bends. Yes, they just uh, you know a bottle of brandy and shake that. Tastes good. <laughs> shake that fire. Shake that off. <laughs> Sit around the fire. And... But old old Fargsy. Didn't didn't fare as well in his attempt, unfortunately. No, Fargs was actually he was the first uh, Aqualung death. Yeah, and that but that occurred in a record attempt. Somebody's got to be the first. You got to be the first at something. <laughs> I think you are officially the first to make a podcast with pneumonia. <laughs> well, it's it's on its way out. I don't know if I. I'm no, hoping I, I it's not the, there I think anymore. You're the but... first podcaster to survive Ebola. <laughs> Ebola. <laughs> yes. So this this episode has got a lot of sources, a lot of research sources. I mean, Brett Gilliam's book, Deep Diving, An Advanced Guide to Physiology, Procedures, and Systems, there's, there's a whole beginning section which kind of goes through the history of deep diving, which yes. a, a little bit we use as, as kind of the foundation and the outline for this. But there's some really great stuff in, in Jacques' book, The Silent World, there's some stuff that we're going to get into from Sheck's book, Caverns Measureless to Man, right. uh, a, a ton of uh, old skin diver articles, stuff I found online, just a lot of really, really good stuff along the way. So we know that the, the Aqualung got going in 43. Yes. Right? <laughs> right. Are you looking at me for a comment? No, it didn't. <laughs> and Brett in his book mentions that although the mixed gas record changed hands almost annually for a while until 
Sheck actually came along and made it a one-man show. The depth record on compressed air, which was set by Neil Watson and John Gruner in 1968, seemed destined to hold up forever. And then in the book, he starts mentioning where it all really started with, which was down, uh, um, so Watson and Gruner went down to 437 feet on a dive down in the Bahamas. On air? On air. Yeah. Do you want to go a little bit into the physiology and whatnot of diving deep on air and why it's a problem? Because I know a lot of our listeners are not advanced or experienced divers and maybe are just open water divers or even just recreational divers. And I know that realm of divers or that that demographic of divers does not have a real strong background and understanding of deep air diving other than don't do it and narcosis. And there's a lot more going on that maybe we want to talk about of the problems that, that happen with deep air diving in the uh, sense of the hazards you run into no, besides narcosis right yeah absolutely want to hit that along the way for sure so, so I, we know when you you learn in your basic scuba class about you know if you go too deep you're going to get nitrogen narcosis Right, everybody's right. Been, been taught that for, for years, but that's just the beginning of it, right? But it, it's all caused from a, the increase in pressure. Our body works off of a, a partial pressure, not necessarily a content, right? Yeah, yeah. So for, for divers that are, that are out there that are new, right, even though if you're breathing air, which is roughly 80% nitrogen at the surface, yes, that air in 100 feet of water is still... 80% nitrogen, nitrogen but, uh, but the way your body reacts to it isn't on the percentage basis, but rather the partial, partial pressure, pressure. Like which how just much means that makes up as if it were the whole of the gas yeah. you're breathing. So it's that percentage in decimal form multiplied by the yeah. atoms of pressure that you're breathing at kind of gives the intensity level. Right. Of that well, gas. and that's from the pressure to try to understand it. I, so if you go up in altitude, the content of the air we breathe does not change. It's still a 2080 or 2179. You still have 21% oxygen, 79% nitrogen. But they say the air gets thinner. I don't know if people really understand what that means and why it gets more difficult to to breathe in a way. You're not getting enough oxygen. Basically what's happening, because the pressure decreases, you have less oxygen in the same volume. That's what they mean by thinner. You still have 21%, but it's thinner. It's thinned out. It's not as many molecules because there's not as much pressure compressing it. Now you have the opposite going down to depth. Now you have more oxygen and more nitrogen in the same volume because gas compresses. You can fit more molecules into the same volume. And that's what partial pressure really is, is more of that ingredient in the same volume. So your lungs occupy a certain volume, right? Correct. The volume doesn't change, basically. It'll stay the same, but you can get more oxygen and more nitrogen in it at depth because it's a great pressure. And that's where it gets toxic. Right, even though it's still 20% of the gas yeah. is oxygen in 100 feet. There's four times as that much, gas yes. in there. And, you know, in 230 feet, it's still roughly 80-20, but there's eight times as right. much oxygen. And there's eight times as much nitrogen exactly. in that so, breath. Yeah, you get down to 297 foot. That's 10 atas. Yikes. So ten. To, that's when we start to approach our, our limit with oxygen, right? Really, they say really 217 feet, but... And what that gives us is that, uh, well, 217 gives us a 1.6 PO2. And that's really the cutoff. So 0.2 times right. 8. Atoms. And uh, old, old Jockey and the boys kind of 
were just winging it. Yeah. Learning it the hard way. Yes. A lot of that really, I mean, I think some of it was known, but not really known. Right. We didn't have the internet. You didn't have close circles of scientific community discussing right they're, they're, pressure these guys were writing medicine. the books mm-hmm. right the, yeah. the books weren't there yet they were yeah. they were figuring it out as they went and then into the 50s and 60s right they they did start knowing a lot more and that's where the, the quest for this record then became much, i can yeah. I, i'm tougher than science a little bit well yeah because basically because the human body each one's different people can withstand or they metabolize different or they can withstand more po2s or more pn2s it was more of a contest who could do do the most you know <laughs> right, who could right. get, take the most as if right, it, right. as who, most everything yeah is, who, you know? who can stand in this ring with muhammad ali and get punched in the face the longest i mean there's something to be said for that is it the smartest thing is it no but that that drive that force has has pushed us to where we're at. It we've sacrificed a lot of people in the name, you know, in the quote unquote name of science, where it's it was mostly an ego driven thing, you know, a chest thumping. Look what I did. It wasn't. I am going to do this for you know. They may even have said I'm doing it for science, but they're doing it so they could be at the bar and pick up chicks. Say, <laughs> oh, that's, that's why they did it. Certainly believe that. And uh, now, now, when Brett came along, when Brett came along and did his dive. He had a little bit of a you know a personal feel for it yeah. along the way. Uh, there was a you know a, a lawsuit going around in the in the states in regard to that wreck dive of the monitor, and uh, the, the government was came, you know basically flat out coming in and saying you can't no, you can't protect, dive this deep. We got to protect the people from themselves. Which right, and then that was in two hundred yeah. and some feet of water. And yes. Brett came in and said, "Bullshit! I'll, I'll, I'll do double do that. Again. Watch. Yeah, I'll do." quadruple that well that's coming <laughs> somebody's some, somebody's destined yeah. i don't think this record yeah. uh, as far as attempts go yeah you know there's always going to be somebody out there that wants to oh 437 i'm gonna go to 438 yes 452 i'm gonna go to 453 and i you also got to point out there's different camps in this kind of endeavor in my humble opinion and it's like with any endeavor so you, you look at a guy like uh Evil Knievel, who would jump motors, his motorcycle over buses or whatnot. And he was, quote-unquote, a professional. He would do it, and he would get in an accident occasionally. But he would practice, and he, he approached it scientifically in a, in a way. But he, was, he, he had been doing it all his life. He, you know, of course, would say, don't, kids, don't try this don't at home. Don't try this at home. But then you got, you know, like, was that Johnny, uh, who, Johnny, Johnny Knox? Knox yeah, the jackass guy. Jackass, who's not practice, who, who will go and do it and wreck his body, and he thinks it's funny. But then, you know... Other people go, oh, this is funny. I've got a video camera yeah. too. So that's when people start, you know, you get the parents going, this is unresponsible. You're preaching, doing a ridiculously crazy thing. And now my kid's doing it because he saw you people doing it. Well, well sure. So, I mean, at yeah. first. You, same you, thing with the diving. If you, well, sure. Yeah. At first you had to put the disclaimer at the beginning of the. Well, you other, have to. Because you, know, you don't want anybody trying it at home. But then the disclaimer kind of became the drive. Well, of, yeah. Of why the show was there, right? It's yeah. oh yeah, watch. Yeah, well, we're gonna do something so jackass stupid. That's and and that, was, that became the thrill. That's what I mean. That's one camp right there, the jackass camp. And then there's push mankind further camp. The jackass camp sometimes does push mankind further, though. And the same thing with this with the deep air diving. You've got you've got the jackasses who you know so and so did it. So I'm gonna jump into the quarry and do 200 feet on air. 
because so-and-so did it. Never mind that so-and-so has been diving since they were eight years old and worked their way up and, you know, has approached it with, you know, safeguards built in. Right, right. To now, a now whether, whether or not you're going to make the argument of growing and building and developing a, an adaptability to the right. increased narcosis or not. Right. That's beside the point. That's beside the point. <laughs> right. Is, yeah. It's there. Right. And if, if you don't, if you're not experienced in it at all, you're not going to have the same time in 200 yeah. plus feet of water on, on air mm-hmm. as somebody that's been doing this regularly. Right. So to just grab a tank and go do it probably isn't going to fare well, which it didn't for many people that, oh, that, yeah. that tried it in yeah. the past. Well, I don't think it's completely gone, you know. Oh, I, I definitely know. I mean, I, I still hear about it today. Yeah. It's not as a braggart thing as it was. People usually aren't, you know, yapping their mouths like it used to be because it used to be a big bragging oh thing. it yeah. I mean it was not very long ago where two independent steel 72s with yeah. air to to do your 200 foot shipwreck dive was commonplace yeah it was common it was the it was the bragging rights common it's just like you know some people brag that they've been bent you know they've had to go to the chamber they've had, i don't know if that's a bragging right it's not to me Right, 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 yeah, yeah. Well, especially on a, uh, you're not even talking like a strange occurrence, undeserved hit. It's like a, right, like a went out of your way to try to, <laughs> to try to get there, kind of a. Yes, forgive me if I go if I start laughing and going to, <laughs> I keel over <laughs> from coughing. That, that was the worst part of this. Is every time I would chuckle, I would start coughing. So in Brett's book, he mentions that Frederick Dumas. A colleague of Jacques Cousteau established one of the earliest credible compressed air diving records in 1947 by reaching 307 feet, but reported severe narcosis. Four years later, Miami lawyer Hope Root set out to attain 400 feet in the clear blue water of the Gulf Stream at 52 years of age and with little practical experience in working up to such a great depth. His attempt seems practically ill-advised. Did, did he make it? He didn't. What do you call one. what do you call one dead lawyer at the bottom of the ocean? <laughs> a a good that. start. <laughs> I that. that could be where this joke came from. I don't know. When you said he's a lawyer, all of a sudden I had no sympathy for him. So uh, if if we have lawyers out there, actually the lawyers that I do know, they're pretty much in agreement with me. Yeah. <laughs> Hans Haas speaks of Roots Quest. Many men fish, like men on land, have, so to speak, a screw loose. They are daredeviltry personified. But even so, they cannot be described as brave, since courage is the conscious mastery of a fear, quite naturally correlated with danger. Into this category must be placed Hope Root. He's courage? Well, Hope Root had courage. The, oh, opposite. He, the opposite. Because I, mean, I was going to... This is a thing I talk to my kids well, about we, like, lot, way, so. Like, so he says... But even so, they cannot be described as brave. Right. Since courage is the conscious mastery of fear, quite naturally correlated with danger. And into the category of not being described oh, as brave okay. is where you got to put hope root. Oh, just okay. Kind of okay. I didn't hear that. Drop it down. He's just going to go for it. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, this is, it's not brave to do something you can't get hurt at. Right. It's like Superman's not brave to me. Right. Right. Because you can't get hurt. You can't get hurt. What, how brave is it to step in front of a bullet if you, the, you know the bullet? You know the bullet. Now, if, if you're standing there with kryptonite and you've got the damsel in distress yeah. and then he goes to help knowing that the kryptonite's going to hurt him, there's some yeah, bravery there's in There's a little that. bit of bravery, yeah. But if you don't have the kryptonite. But you no, know, hardly anybody has kryptonite. That's the thing. 
But on the, then on the other hand, it is brave to attempt something with some knowledge. You, you know the ramifications and you are doing it for a reason, i.e., you know, push knowledge forward. A noble reason, not a, not a stupidity reason. You know? Right. There, in other words, you remove foolishness from it. And that's and where that, you that's look bravery. at, you know, somebody like Brett when he did his dive. It was a year in the making of yeah. pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, studying himself, putting a lot of time in rather than somebody. Testing narcosis somebody, at the bar. You know, right. Rather than uh, a lawyer buying some scuba gear going, I'm going to go I'm gonna go to 400 feet. Oh, I, yeah. Just for bragging rights. Uh, I don't know if that was his sole sole motivation, his sole drive was bragging rights, but it's it's hard to determine what goes through a, a person's mind. But well, in Life Magazine, 1953, they did a story on good old Hope Root. Yeah, and they mentioned that Hope Root was a lawyer with a love for saltwater who moved his practice from New York to Miami, where he became an expert spearfisherman. In this exciting underwater world, he cast eyes on the freediving marks set five years ago by two Frenchmen using a backstrapped air supply that they called an aqualone. 306 feet, deepest free dive any man has survived, and 396 feet from which the diver was hauled up, lifeless, last week. At 52, Hope Root tried for the record of both the living and the dead. He does not... Is that him in that picture? That's him. That looked like the uh, epitome not, of a physically fit man. <laughs> he's not as fit as Jacques and Didi were. He looks like a you know your average fifty two year old. He looks like an average fifty two year old lawyer. Exactly. Been sitting, been sitting they count money the, a little too long. Been sitting behind the desk for the last thirty yeah. years. Give me your hands, boy. Looks like you've been counting money too long. Who who is it? Let me see your hands, boy. <laughs> You've been counting money too long. <laughs> to a trained diver like Root, the physical risk from pressure changes would not be too great, but he faced one great known risk. The French call it the rapture of the depths, which we, we remember from old Jockey's days was La Verse de Grand Profondeur. Oui. Oui. Ha, ha, ha. You know, when I was in France, I kept doing that laugh when I would talk to my daughter, and she was getting mad because she was like, people are staring. She goes, these people think you're making fun of them. I go, because of my laugh. Was she, <laughs> was she getting angry and irritable at it? Not super, but a little bit. Was she on decongestants? No, 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 no. I don't think, nobody else has this uh, side effect in my family. It has been described by one diver as an exhilaration so great that he wanted to rip his mask off and offer his air supply to a passing fish. A fellow diver urged Root to mix helium with the air in his aqualung, as some divers do to avoid the rapture, but he declined. This is back in 53. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Back in 53, they're, they're telling him to put helium in. Yeah. Well, and I tried to tell you, commercial divers had been using it well before the aqualung was developed. They they know about oxygen to toxicity. They know about narcosis. They'd already done experiments in the late 1800s on sheep. Okay, so this is not unknown what's going to happen at depth. It just hasn't really been documented on humans, and especially on self-contained, you know, a man swimming freely. But they do know about caissons and and even in the you know helmet divers would get these have all the problems that we're talking about. Sure, but then here we go. Like we move like thirty 
40 50 years later yes right and uh you still you know have some have a have a diver walk out of a class yeah even in an advanced class even a deep diving specialty yeah. class and that they look at helium as being this like, devil gas yeah. wild yeah. extravagant thing yeah well and for a long time and to a certain degree it may still be being pushed that way via the industry no i i mean oh, no, yeah. i still oh. believe it is there are certain agencies that think you should you know, you should run classes, deep classes, on air. As a matter of fact, there were agencies that said the instructor had to be on air, even if the students were on helium, because of the way helium went in and out of your, your tissue, because of the possibility that you would get bent on helium easier. That was the theory. That was the theory, yeah, yeah. That you had to do so much more decompression yes. on helium than you would have had to do on air. With a fathometer checking his descent, he started. Life photographer Peter Stackpole an experienced aqualung diver himself was down 50 feet to photograph Root and follow him a short way down. And there's a couple of photos that you can see online uh, that were in this magazine article of good old Hope Root doing his descent down and starting it. He's down in the Bahamas, just a pair of swim trunks and his aqualung. Into the blue-black nothing Root went, as recorded on the pedometer. He reached the measuring line anchor at the record-breaking depth of 400 feet, where seemingly conscious he leveled off. Then the fathometer men looked in horror. Root had started down again. A sudden drop of 50 feet, slight pause, then at ascent speed down to 550 feet. There the supersonic echo signals lost him forever. Rapture may have embraced Hope Root, or as happens to deep divers, he may have lost direction. Swum down thinking he was ascending. Enraptured or confused, Hope Root, whose fluttering was photographed for the last time at 100 feet as he headed into his beloved depths, had almost certainly set at least a new world's freediving record for the dead. So there's a pretty cool and ominous photo, yeah. right, of, uh, of good old Hope Root where uh, that photographer's up in the 50, uh, 50 feet of water mark. And you just see him, you know, plummeting down, you know, a set of uh, double tanks on his back and a stream of bubbles coming up. And you just see that image into a bunch of blackness around it. Now, I've got that same image of many divers. That could be anybody. Very true. Very true. We just label it and all of a sudden we're like, wow, that's an incredible picture. Take away the label. You're like, yeah, that's uh, the back of a diver going down. You're really, you're really killing the ambience. I am a seeker of truth in all things. Let's break it down to its simplest thing. It's a diver going down. It are could you be saying, anybody. Are you saying Life Magazine had an agenda back in 1953? I'm not saying they had an agenda. I'm saying you believe everything you read and that makes you stupid. They were pro, <laughs> they were pro deep air back in 1953. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I don't know if they took a stand on it. They were pro selling magazines is what they were. So yes, um, good old um, Life Magazine. December issue, 1953, I believe it was. Um, so he's uh, he's like the classic um, Icarus. Wasn't that the, the, the flight of Icarus? Well, that's not a fable. That's myth Greek mythology. He right. flew to the sun. Yeah. Right. So he had he, wings of wax and flew to the sun. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it, it's like the story of Icarus. He made his wings of wax, beeswax. And, yeah. Right. And then flew to the sun. And got, got to flying, right? And then got a little too big for his britches. <laughs> Well, his whole idea was to fly his, to the sun. That's why he made melted him, yeah. his wings. And I don't think that's the moral of that story. We should but, write uh, a Hope Root fable. Nah, 
maybe you can. <laughs> say, if by we it. you mean you, yeah, go for read it. it. Read it to children. <laughs> read it to children before Hope bed. Root. Hope Root was a man. Of I'm working on many. my uh, children's book. Great yeah. Dive Podcast children's book. It's going to be a pop-up book. Nice. How about a, a dive-down book? Oh. Pop up. You open it up and the pages sink in, so you got three-dimensional depth to it. Okay. It's going to have to be a big book. Brilliant. To give any real depth. This book is four feet tall. <laughs> deep, I should say. Four feet deep. You get your money's worth. <laughs> it's only $350. And we're making 50 cents a copy. <laughs> so the first real record of something extreme was Dee Dee's dive in 1943, where he broke 200 feet. The boys have been diving that shipwreck that British steamer, the Dalton, which was in 50 feet of water, basically, at the bow. And it slanted down into, like, over 150 feet of water with that space, yeah. you know, in between. And Jacques, in his book, The Silent World, mentions that we had started aqualung diving with no plans for deep descents. We had wanted to spend some time at 60 feet, but the sea lured us down. Now we were in the risky 17-fathom layer. Where did the depth limit lie? Perhaps it was in the tantalizing open dune between the two halves of the Dalton. We decided we had better surface and think it over. 17 fathoms. 17 fathom. But, uh, uh, what is it? Six feet. six feet and a fathom, is that right? Yeah, so it's 102 feet. Okay, so they're, they're playing and they're toying around with mm -hmm. this 100-foot mark. Now, Dumas believed that the lung could take us deeper. After we had safely returned to 22 fathoms several times the first summer, he decided to try the limit a man could reach in a carefully controlled experimental dive. We figured that he would not be down long enough to incur attack of the bends. So, on an October afternoon in 1943, we arrived in the Mediterranean fishing village to rendezvous with persons involved in the test. A hundred meter length of knotted rope lying along the jetty was under examination by Monsieur Matteo, the harbor engineer, Maitre Gaudry, the houssier. What's this a houssier? Houssier is a, um, I believe he's like a, a notary. Uh, somebody who just like verifies something. Yeah, so he's the guy that is making sure I's are dotted, T's are crossed, everything's verified. So they, yeah, they were attempting a record? Yes. So they were. he was there to validate it, basically. Correct. Yeah, okay. So this French functionary is licensed by the Republic as a bailiff, unimpeachable witness and investigator. His testimony is accepted without challenge in any court of law. The engineer and the Houssier methodically counted and measured the metric knots in the rope along which Frederick Dumas was to descend into the sea. Well, how about a little French accent? <laughs> I, I will when I get when I get to when I get to when I get to the Didi's oh, account. Say, there's no adjectives or anything with that. And those of us who do remember Jacques narrating, this is the knot that will take Frederick Dumas down into the deep blue sea, down down to the murky depths, beckoning the diver to come. Come into my murky depths. Okay, so this deeper. is so this is how they planned. You are the dive. falling deeper. <laughs> so this is how they planned out the dive. Yeah. Right, so so this is forty three. We're gonna we're gonna attempt a two hundred foot dive. This is a two hundred foot depth. This is farther than any man has dived and lived to tell about. Deeper. <laughs> The murky depths. Okay. Two launches full of witnesses accompanied the condemned man to sea. 
The first launch towed the second, in which were Didi and I, embarrassed by the attentions of the crowd. We had talked over all conceivable problems of the dive, and Didi had himself weighed, cataloged everything that could happen and was ready for it. Everything. Every single thing that could be happening. The plunge was well planned. The plunge into the murky depths. <laughs> was it we? <laughs> he would submerge in the clear, calm water, wearing a factory new aqualung and heavily weighted belt, and descend feet first without undue exertion along the knotted rope to the greatest depth he could reach. Let me ask you something. Kind of relevant. And this I just bring up because this is something that would go through my mind when I was in the service. It was something that the old military folks would teach me. But what would you, if you're going to do an endeavor like this, so you're going to go very deep, would you want a brand new regulator, fresh out of the box, never dived? Or would you want your trusty true one you've been diving the whole time? Maybe you serviced and you know what's going on. Which one would you do? I think everybody today would pick the old beat up. You think everybody would? I think, well... I shouldn't say everybody. I think wise people would. Wise the the wise man would would take his good old trusty one that he knows inside and out. Right, he knows it's working. Well, the the reason I brought it up too is in in the military, we would we'd get new planes and old planes. Which one would you rather fly in? I'm flying in that 25 year old C-130. Oh, this one right off of the. uh, We'll let that get a few a few flights under its belt. A couple of test runs in. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. There, he would remove his weights tie them on the rope, and speed to the surface. When the line was brought up, it would show what depth he had attained. After the terrors of thinking about it, Didi considered the plunge a formality. The towboat anchored in 240 feet of water. The sky was clouded, and an early autumn wind drove a muddy white crown chop past our gunnels. The air was raw. As Dumas' safety man, I entered the water first and was swept away from the launch. I swam hard to get back to the ladder and had to struggle to stay alongside. Didi came into the water. The launch skipper was distressed at the sight of men abandoning a vessel in such a sea and ran around hurling lines to us. Dumas saluted his gallantry and sank. He did so unwillingly as he was overweighted. Underwater, he discovered that when he turned his head to the left, it pinched off his air intake hose. I swam to catch the knotted rope as it was thrown overboard. I clutched the rope out of breath. With a big dive not yet started, Dumas went under again. So already, already like things are are not 100%. I hate when that happens. You know, you're doing something and things are not 100%. Usually I give it the three strike rule. Right, right. Uh, Three little things. So they did their practice. Yeah. Yeah. Calm. Yeah, sunny, <laughs> flat water. Yeah, <laughs> go do- the go day is the game day shows up. Yeah. It's windy. It's choppy. The, the current on the surface cutting off my around. gas when I turn to the left. What the hell? So Jockey looks down and saw Didi sinking under his weights and swimming with both arms and legs against the sweep of the current to gain the shot line. When he caught it, a flume of air came out of his regulator, a sign of exhaustion. He rested on the rope for a moment, then lowered himself rapidly, hand under hand, into the turbid racing sea. Still panting from the fight on the surface, I followed him toward my sentry post, a hundred feet down. My brain was reeling. Didi did not look up. I saw his fists and head melting into the dun water. Melting into the dun water. As he plunged deeper and deeper into the murky depths, Mother Ocean beckons. So this is how Didi described the record dive. 
The light does not change color as it usually does underneath a turbid surface. Very good. I cannot see clearly. Either the sun is going down quickly or my eyes are weak. I reach the hundred foot knot. My body does not feel weak, but I keep panting. The damned rope doesn't hang straight. It slants off into the yellow soup. It slants more and more. I am anxious about the line, but I feel really wonderful. I have a queer feeling of beatitude. I am drunk and carefree. My ears buzz and my mouth tastes bitter. The current staggers me as though I had too many drinks. Ho, ho, ho. This one is for you, Dumas. <laughs> Another round. A brandy for the, the divers, Dumas. Who else is with him? Just him. Well, uh, you're, well, somebody you're else is. You're Jacques. Oh, you're, I'm, st- I'm in standby. You're Jacques. You're in 100 yeah. feet. Okay. Toast Jacques, for me and Dumas, a toast. As you plunge into the murky depths, the aqueous blue color beckons. Come, deeper. <laughs> okay. I have forgotten Jacques and the people in the boats. My eyes are tired. I lower on down trying to think about the bottom, but I can't. I am going to sleep, but I can't fall asleep in such dizziness. There's a little light around me. I reach for the next knot and I miss it. I reach again and tie my belt on it. Coming up is merry as a bubble. Liberated from weights, I pull on the rope and bound. The drunken sensation vanishes. I am sober and infuriated that I have missed my goal. (laughs) You put a little Italian in there, which is right. I missed my goal. (laughs) Hey, Luigi, what are you doing down here? (laughs) I pass Jacques and hurry on up. I am told I was down seven minutes. Ho, ho, ho. Hey, Dumas, where does he go as the surface beckons? <laughs> Didi's belt was tied off 210 feet down. The Houssier attested to it. No independent diver had been deeper. Yet Dumas's subjective impression was that he had been slightly under 100 feet. But he, uh, judging from the description and the reading, he felt pretty narked, though. I think he felt pretty hammered, yeah. Yeah. He was, he was buzzing. Now you've been down 200 feet on air. It's pretty, it's narc, man. I haven't, been, I haven't done 200 feet on air. That's crazy shit. You need to do 200 feet on air. You're like, this is pretty cool, man. <laughs> Dude. Dudes. Why don't we do this every day? Yeah, it's now. So now, but now think, nineteen forty-three. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's, and knowing of no one that's ever been there, to even to talk to you about the narcosis level that you would be experiencing. Yeah. I think the the whole mindset as you go into the water, in my personal humble opinion, your psychological condition and your mindset when you hit the water affects the narcosis uh, feel. I think I absolutely. Yeah. I think that's where we're going to get to when we get into yeah. these dives that. Uh, you know, Watts and yeah. uh, Watson and uh, Gilliam and all these guys were doing in the future. Yeah. And it had a lot to it. You know, there's a, there's a little bit of, I think, in, in Didi's and in Jacques' day, it was very much, uh, you know. Well, because it was unknown, I think it added to this nervous, you know, maybe there was yeah, some nervousness, yeah. which I, I used to say, you know, whatever you're going into that dive with, it's going to be amplified. That's how I used to feel. Sure. It's yeah, like yeah. Whatever, super yeah, confident, whatever psychological baggage I'm, you're bringing yeah, into the water I'm is going to be amplified on the, the dive, for sure. Yeah. Then if you're nervous, you're going to be more nervous at depth. Especially on depth 
with a narcotic gas. Well, yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. With uh, you're already you you know you're going to be narked, but if you're very confident, you've got some experience with it. That's where you. That, I think that whole adaptability may actually be something to it as you you become extremely confident, which can also be dangerous, right? Overconfidence. Sure, overconfidence. Yeah. I would, well, I think that's what took old Hope Root there in yeah fifty one. But I th- I think he was nervous too, but. Uh, and maybe it was his drive for some kind of record. Well, I mean, he went down to 400 feet. I think yeah. he was just oh, yeah. hammered. Well, I think you know, he passed and then out. Just, yeah. Well, it, it, it seems like he was. He hit 400, st- leveled off there for a while, swam around, and then went over another ledge yeah. to plummet further. And, and I think right at that point, I think he was just like, I'm assuming that he was just like in la-la land, like just lost. Yeah. And then uh, it was like, just I'm going to go... All the way to the bottom. Just just think about how th- thick that gas is you're moving in out. Just the act of moving that, that syrupy fluid, you know, which is gas. Yeah, but you take a, like a, a cheap old, you know, 1980s bottom of the line decor pacer regulator. Yeah, you know, and try to move Which was breathing that, like yeah. a gem compared to, yes. uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> to compared to what they had in 43. Yeah. Yeah, trying to move that, that thick gas in and out of your lungs, that has a huge effect on the gas exchange. Not only do you have nitrogen with its narcotic effect, you also have carbon dioxide building up and the partial pressure of that because you're unable to remove it because it's right, so yeah. thick. You're unable to remove it the same way you could remove it at the surface and because the a, gas is so thick. A hundred times as narcotic. Oh yeah, as the nitrogen. yeah. So what? Yeah, what you can live with on the surface and being extremely is, overweighted as they were, right? Because yes. they wanted to get down yeah, quick. Yeah. So you're working, fighting, and yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot of factors going in there. That's and, and, I they're, think and they're hitting they 200 feet, and they're literally wearing an, a. Uh, oh yeah, sweat, uh, they're wearing like a speedo. latex glove or something. Yeah. <laughs> they're a speedo, yeah. <laughs> so like cold as hell, shivering. Yeah, you gotta hit. They, 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 they just fought it out, you know. Give they it up. It out. Yeah, give it up because that took some uh, cojones and a love of. There's got to be a yeah, real a, passion yeah, for the guy. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so later on, he Jacques says we continued to be puzzled with the rapture of the depths and felt that we were challenged to go deeper. Didi's deep dive in 1943 had made us aware of the problem, and the group had assembled detailed reports on its deep dives, but we had only a literary knowledge of the full effects of La Verse des Grands Profondeurs as it must strike lower down. In the summer of 1947, we set out to make a series of deeper dives. So these dives were measured by a heavy shot line hanging from the boat on the line at 16 to one half foot intervals, so five meter intervals. There were white boards. The divers carried half yeah. So the divers carried pencils to sign their names on the deepest board they could reach and write a sentence describing their sensations. I like pie. <laughs> <laughs> well, pretty damn close, actually. Uh, Edie, so. <laughs> I mean, I like a pie. <laughs> uh, so, so Jackie writes. At 200 feet, I tasted the metallic flavor of compressed nitrogen and was instantaneously and severely struck with rapture. I closed my hand on the rope and stopped. My mind was jammed with conceited thoughts and antic joy. I struggled to fix my brain on reality, to attempt to name the color of the sea about me. A contest took place between navy blue, turquoise, (laughs) (laughs) navy blue, aquamarine, or Prussian blue. Aqua Velva. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of people don't know what Aqua, Aqua Velva even is. No, no I do. I, I know you do. I wear it every Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> 
They had a high karate. How do you think, how do you think I picked decorate up? Decorate my picked medicine up my cabinet. Wife, a couple little splashes of aqua oh, velva. If they if they only knew what really what we used to to pick them up. The debate would not resolve. The sole fact I could grasp was that there was no roof and no floor in the blue room. The distant purr of the diesel invaded my mind. It swelled to a giant beat, the rhythm of the world's heart. I took the pencil and wrote on the board, quote, nitrogen has a dirty taste. <laughs> I like nitrogen like I like my women. <laughs> With a dirty taste. <laughs> nitrogen has a dirty taste. <laughs> Very dirty. I had little impression of holding the pencil. Childhood nightmares overruled my mind. I was ill in bed, terrorized with realization that everything in the world was thick. My fingers were sausages. My tongue was a tennis ball. My lips swelled grotesquely on my mouth grip. The air was syrup. The water gelled around me as though I were smothered in aspic. The fish was a pickle. <laughs> the eel was a butternut squash I hung witless on the rope Standing aside was a smiling, jaunty man My second half Perfectly self-contained, grinning sardonically at the wretched diver As the seconds passed, the jaunty man installed himself on my command In order that I unloose the rope and go down I sank slowly through a period of intense visions. So he's at 200, and this ominous vision of his second <laughs> self is telling him to go further. You can do it. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> Around the 264-foot board, the water was suffused with an unearthly glow. I was passing from night into an in intimation of dawn. What I saw as sunrise was light reflected from the floor, which had passed unimpeded through the dark, transparent strata above. I saw below me the weight at the end of the shot line, hanging 20 feet from the floor. I stopped at the penultimate board and looked down at the last board five meters away and marshaled all my resources to evaluate the situation without deluding myself. Then I went to the last board. 297 feet down. 10 atoms. So the PO2's at 2.1. Yikes. Right. That, that partial pressure of oxygen, yeah. which we use today, it's right, as like a 1.6 as a maximum. Yeah. 1.4 is your, your real swimming max, but... The floor was gloomy and barren, save for the morbid shells and sea urchins. I was sufficiently in control to remember that in this pressure, 10 times that of the surface... Any untoward physical effort was extremely dangerous, right? Because any, yes. any work is just going to exacerbate up. that yeah. CO2. Yeah, and even the slightest increase is magnified 10 times. I filled my lungs slowly and signaled the board. I could not write what it felt like 50 fathoms down. I was the deepest independent diver. In my bisected brain, the satisfaction was balanced by satirical Self-contempt. What is satirical self-contempt? How often have you felt satirical self-contempt? Truly. I was, uh, I was at a bar in Wichita, <laughs> drinking by myself. <laughs> Cheap whiskey. There you go. I felt a uh, certain satirical self-contempt for myself. 
I dropped the scrap iron and bounded like a coiled spring, clearing two boards in the first flight. There at 264 feet, the rapture vanished suddenly, inexplicably, and entirely. I was light and sharp, one man again, enjoying the lighter air expanding in my lungs. I rose through the twilight zone at high speed and saw the surface pattern in a blaze of platinum bubbles and dancing prisms. It was impossible not to think of flying to heaven. However, before heaven, there was purgatory. I waited 20 feet down for five minutes of staged decompression. That's crazy. Then hurried. Are you kidding me? Five minutes? How did he do it? (laughs) (laughs) Then hurried to 10 feet where I spent 10 shivering minutes. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I shouldn't make make light of it because. When they hauled the shot line, I found that some imposter had written my name on the last board. (laughs) Get well soon. (laughs) Love. (laughs) Sammy. (laughs) (laughs) For half an hour afterwards, I had a slight pain in the knees and shoulders. I can't figure out why. Well, you know, hindsight's 20-20. Philip Tallier went down to the last board, scribbled us. They didn't say anything about him. I had a slight pain, so I I grabbed a brandy. He didn't mention that. But you know we did. I went to the bar. (laughs) Didi came over and said, Jaggy. I know what you need. <laughs> I am in great pain. Here, you have, got, a drink. You have a drink. Sh- drink up. Drink up, sailors. Bottoms up, Jackie. <laughs> Jackie. Philip Tallier went down to the last board, scribbled a silly message, and came up with a two-day headache. Dumas had to overcome. What did he scribble? <laughs> Gophers and groundhogs are not the same animal. <laughs> <laughs> Dumas had to overcome dramas of heavy rapture in the 50 fathom zone Our two tough sailors, Fargs and Morandier Said they could have done short, easy labor around the bottom Fargs! Schwab's decks, Fargs! (laughs) That was nothing Fargs is like, that was nothing What? Fargs is German in my mind That was nothing Knock, knock. <laughs> uh, I thought that was pretty good that Patty did the knock, knock. The knock, knock joke? I'm, the, I'm the still KGB laughing. Now. I laugh about that. She brought that out of nowhere. You know, we, we just watched that episode a couple I think, days. Uh, I, think, I mean, she did good. I think a couple episodes, she'd be like, bam. I think so. Quartermaster George visited the bottom board and was dizzy for an hour or so afterward. Jean Pinard felt out of condition at 220 feet signed in and sensibly returned none of us wrote a legible word that was jean on, on the deep board not even jumping on what about jean-luc picard number one <laughs> he was take us forward number he was one. captaining in outer space <laughs> yes take us forward number one did he have any did old jean-luc Pinard have any good quotes jean-luc picard or jean-luc picard picard Pinard. I think Pinard. Jean-Luc Picard always, you know, calling everybody number one. He does. He has a good couple good memes with the face palm. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, right. things like that. Classical. I'm a fan of Jean-Luc Picard. As a matter of fact, it's William Shatner did such a good job of being this iconic. You know, he implanted the image of Captain Kirk in in your mind of the captain of a Star Trek Enterprise that it would be extremely difficult a to like play another Kirk. Oh, you know, for sure, yeah. But yeah. Jean-Luc Picard came in. I think he surpassed as a the quintessential starship captain 
in his refinement, in his uh, his whole, he was almost a well, Zen, a ish yes, yes, uh, captain. But the very in the Kirk days, smart. It was balls. It was very and this stuff, over the top. This is an awesome comparison crazy. to Deep Air and diving today. Oh, bring because it on, bring it Captain on. Kirk really is the D. You know. The deep air divers of that day were more of a, uh, a William Shatner uh, Kirk versus I think the deep divers of today are more of a Jean-Luc Picard wh- where it's uh, it's not so much a balls, let's go have a beer after the, the dive kind of thing. I shouldn't say balls, but gutsy endeavor. It's a very, uh, we do this for mankind kind of, you know. Even though Shatner was too, I think Jean-Luc Picard is more refined there's less of the machismo and, uh, you know, that, that type of feel. Khan! <laughs> Khan! <laughs> well, you know, uh, Captain Kirk did say, Our species can only survive if we have obstacles to overcome. You remove those obstacles without them to strengthen us. We will weaken and die. He, yes. He also said... No more blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, all you got to do is do a search for Kirk, and there's just incredible yeah. stuff. But back to the original but, but yes, uh, it did, um, proposition, which is yeah, the Kirk, Captain Kirk was the old days. Was the old deep air. Deep air yeah. and, and Captain Picard. is mixed gas deep diving now. Yeah. Rebreather, mixed gas deep diving. The way things, I think that's how, how it's, it well, it's is the today. evolution of the, yeah. of the thought. Sure, I, I yeah. get you. I get you. That's a pretty, both, good, that's a pretty good analogy. Yeah. Both equally have their place, in my humble opinion. I mean, the history has its place. Well, I mean, we're just getting going, man. We're not even into the. I mean, we're just in yeah. into like 1950, like talking about Hope Root. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, these yeah. stories, you know, 43, 47, 48. Yeah. You know, we're we're coming into the 50s, and in the 50s now, people are starting to get into diving. Right? Yeah, the late skin 50s, diver. 60s, skin yeah. diver magazine comes out. Uh, there's a publication coming out on a regular basis. People are informed about what's happening. There's stories in this in these magazines talking about where this record is, and people start getting excited into that quest for. I need to go deeper. We need to go deeper. Yes. So we're going to um, we're going to pick back up a few days later with these uh, deep dives that Jacques's doing with the gang and extending down below the fifty fathom mark. So. Stick around, gang. This just gets better and better and better as we go. Has it occurred to you that there's a certain inefficiency in constantly questioning me on the things you already made your mind up about? Who said that? Spock? Spock, yeah. Spock said there's that. There's a bunch of good Spock quotes, yeah, too. Yeah, oh, for sure. I don't know. I could go I could go a long time on old Star Trek. I don't see the original Star Trek too often anymore. No, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going to revisit it. You have to. Like, we had this conversation. I was yeah. more of a Star Wars guy than a Star Trek guy guy in my younger days but i'm, I'm gonna revisit the old star treks i think if i were human i believe my response would be go to hell if i were human <laughs> <laughs> all right gang so on that note uh tune in next week same dive time same dive channel of warm is a me we we're gonna no no sign book no uh, no logbook sign no we're not right, gonna we, sign it because we, we got this uh, is a long dive yeah, we got, this is a long dive so strap in kids we will see you next week. Wee wee. Ha ha.
critical moments, men sometimes see exactly what they wish to see. Insults are effective only where emotion is present. Worlds, well, worlds are conquered, galaxies are destroyed, but a woman is always a woman. Kirk. That's how he ended up with that green chick. That was his philosophy. Yeah. Sometimes a feeling is all we humans have to go on. Genius doesn't work on an assembly line basis. You can't simply say, today I will be brilliant. I'm going to use that line because that's a pretty yeah. good one. Because people expect that out of me every day. I'm like, genius does not work on an assembly line basis. F that's what's missing in this. A few emphasis words.